0: cohen and you're listening to the mayor culpa podcast yesterday's gop victory in virginia and a too close call race in new jersey offer a potential preview of the horror show awaiting democrats in next year's midterm elections should they fail to heed what amounts to a very urgent wake-up call
1: glenn youngkin has been elected governor of virginia defeating democrat terry mcauliffe youngkin pulling off a critical victory for his party in the highest stakes election of the night. This is the first time Republicans have won an election for Virginia's top office in 12 years. I will tell you somebody in high up in uh, McAuliffe's camp who was there with McAuliffe uh, put it this way to me about an hour ago. It's a bloodbath.
0: For the past five years, Democrats rode record-breaking turnouts to victory, fueled by voters with a passion for ousting a president they viewed as incompetent, divisive, and fucking dangerous. Today's results show the limitations of such resistance politics when the object of resistance is out of power the failure of Democrats to fulfill many of their biggest campaign promises, and the still-simmering rage over a pandemic that transforms schools into some of the country's most divisive political battlegrounds.
2: What had been planned as a typical school board meeting in Virginia's wealthy Loudoun County this week devolved into pandemonium.
1: Yeah. With hundreds of parents
2: flooding an auditorium to accuse the school system of teaching their kids that racism in America is structural and systemic.
0: Perhaps most strikingly, the crushing setbacks for Democrats in heavily suburban Virginia and New Jersey hinted at a conservative stoked backlash to the changing mores around race and identity championed by the party. As Republicans relentlessly and cynically sought to turn schools into the next front in the country's culture wars.
1: Caught on camera at school board meetings. No more, no more laugh. Leave
0: it This is illegal. This is a hydrovirus.
1: Threats, intimidation, even violence over mask wearing, lessons on race, and more. The level
2: has gotten to an extreme-whether
0: you like it or not. The next year will be dominated by discussions of critical race theory and whether or not schools should be teaching students this information. Beyond that is the politicization of mask mandates will force the rest of us to listen to fucking insane parents shouting this bogus bullshit, egged on by GOP operatives who have largely orchestrated all of this and then rode it to victory in a number of state houses. With their focus on parental rights, a catch-all rallying cry capturing conservative outrage over mask mandates, vaccination requirements, transgender rights, and how the history of racism is taught, Republicans found an issue that energized their voters, uniting the white grievance politics of the Trump base with broader anger over schooling during the pandemic. It was a cynical ploy to attract suburban voters, and it worked really well. Democrats were caught flat-footed without a message of their own to counter. They better get one soon, because what happened in Virginia is a fucking prelude to what's coming.
1: The stakes are high. Uh, When this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? the delta variant of trumpism in other words yunkin uh same disease but spreads a lot faster it can get a lot more places the suburbs if they fall to him you is now that's I, implying that yeah that yunkin is more dangerous than the uh, well, president I, 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 no no more easy to spread okay because uh. more more easy, easy to spread because if you if you look at what he's doing he is playing footsie with the worst of trumpism the, he's, he's putting himself forward as a champion of parents, he's he, this is a referendum on parents' rights, but he's not talking about. But he's, he's using the all the critical race theory uh, uh, head fakes and head nods, which is a softer version of a very uh, uh, virulent kind of anti-black uh, 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 posture. And so, I think we're we're uh, t- t- this is a very big deal because if this is a pathway. If you can flirt with Trump is, if you can flirt with Trump and still put in, and still win in the suburbs, that's a new development for us.
0: For Democrats, the results on the nation's single biggest day of voting until the midterms next year raised alarms that the wave of anti-Trump energy that carried them into power has curdled into apathy in a base that is tired of protesting and is largely back at brunch. Or in what would be even more politically perilous that the party's motivation has been replaced by a sense of dissatisfaction with the state of a country that has, despite all of Mr. Biden's campaign promises, not yet returned to a pre-COVID sense of normalcy.
2: You know, I think we cannot run on just um, tying Trump to Republicans. I think that people want to forget about Trump because he was so chaotic and so destructive. And so I think what we have to do is we have to run on local issues. We have to acknowledge people's pain and we have to show that we've delivered. And I believe that that will bring people back. It will also raise enthusiasm within our base. And I think we will turn things around.
0: Predictably, Donald Trump cast the evening as a victory for his MAGA base. On Tuesday night, two hours after polls closed in Virginia, Trump took credit for the GOP's anticipated victory. It is looking like Terry McAuliffe's campaign against a certain person named Trump has very much helped Glenn Youngkin, Trump gloated. Thank you to the MAGA voters for turning out big. Half an hour later, GOP chairwoman Ronna McDaniel lauded the former president as the hero of the night. President Trump continues to be a huge boost for Republicans across the country, she declared. I mean, MAGA turned out And then uh, we got him so, so much that we had even, you know, numbers comparable to mine. And they said, oh, he's more popular. Instead of giving us credit, they start saying, oh, he's more popular than Trump. You know, it's unbelievable. I don't believe that we lost it. I don't believe we lost Virginia. They cheat on elections more than anybody, maybe in the world. Okay, you want to know the truth. We're like a third world country when it comes to elections. So without MAGA,
2: he would have lost by 15 points. Yep more
0: this is a logical spin to put on the virginia result if you're trying to pump up your party and manage a narcissist's ego but if mcdaniel and others feature trump in next year's elections based on the conclusion that he was an asset in virginia they'll be very fucking sorry polls show that he is a significant liability Yonkin won this race not because of trump but because despite him. Last night was a very bad night for Donald Trump because there's a guy who kept him in a lockbox. He has favorabilities plus 13 over Trump and every Republican in that
3: state is going, okay, we got to keep Trump and Mar-a-Lago behind the gates because when he stays the hell away, We win big and we can get our old coalition back.
2: Oh, Donald, it's happening again. You made Glenn Youngkin. President Trump endorsed me the next day. Without you, he was nothing. You gave him power, and I thanked him for it. That's why Glenn Youngkin has banned you from coming to Virginia. He used you. He thinks you're a loser and you'll make him one too. You are not welcome. He's embarrassed of you. He wants you to stay away. Not invited. Far away. Loser. Glenn Youngkin, and just another rhino stabbing you in the back.
0: Shamed of you. Basically, the GOP has a big night because they ran candidates who did not hew closely to the MAGA agenda. Call it Trumpism with a smile. Voters will turn out for these folks if they just turn down the crazy. Sure. They wallowed in the dirty mud of identity politics, but they also refused to co-sign any hokum about stolen elections and other Trump insanity. It gave swing voters permission to vote Republican without feeling like they were supporting a fucking lunatic. It also sent a message to Biden that he needs to listen to the moderate voices in his party and pass a fucking goddamn infrastructure bill.
2: What I do know is, I do know the people want us to get things done. They want us to get things done. And that's why I'm continuing to push very hard for the Democratic Party to move along and pass my infrastructure bill and my Build Back Better bill. I think if we look, think about what we what we're talking about here. People are upset and uncertain about a lot of things from COVID to school, to jobs, to a whole range of things and the cost of a gallon of gasoline. And so if I'm able to pass, sign in law, my Build Back Better initiative, I'm in a position where you're going to see a lot of those things ameliorated quickly and swiftly.
0: There's one simple trick to averting a democratic bloodbath next year. Do what voters say they want. A Vox Data for Progress poll conducted last month found 71% of voters support raising taxes on the wealthiest Americans and 60% support Biden's signature spending plan at the full $3.5 trillion. These aren't mere suggestion numbers. They are supermajorities. Democrats ignore those clearly stated wishes at their own electoral peril. Passing a robust domestic spending program and moving quickly to advance a voting rights package is the fucking minimum Democrats can do to show they are acting on Biden's lofty campaign promises. Those are also two key areas where conservative Democrats, not progressives, are opposed to the consensus within both their own party and their own country.
1: The Democrats in Washington have seemed extremely chaotic even dysfunctional in recent months and the truth is they control the white house and the congress and you can't fail to deliver on your promises and then expect to win elections and that's a big message for democrats
0: and that's all i really want to say about last night as the coming days and weeks will provide enough reading of the tea leaves to make me want to guzzle cyanide what does it mean what does it mean i tell you Biden's numbers are in the fucking toilet. People are tired of fucking COVID and they want someone to blame.
2: That these Republicans are dangerous, that this isn't a party that's just another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy, that at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security, because stoking that kind of soft white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff. It leads to the January 6th stuff, because if people are tolerant of it in your party, they're tolerant of the soft racism. It's a really short trip to get to the January 6th insurrectionist. The
0: Democrats need to get a better message beyond if you don't vote for us, you're going to get a bunch of fucking lunatics. That said, the message is good enough for me when I look at Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt fucking Getz. And yes, the prospect of Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker should chill you all to the fucking bone. Frankly, when push comes to shove and 2022 is upon us, The Democratic base will turn out in force to beat back the MAGA menace. If not, we're all in deep shit. The continued progress of the January 6th committee has grown. These fuckers need to be nailed to the wall for what they've done, and Democrats need to get busy getting it done. the main event as Democrats and never Trumpers wake up to the disappointment of yesterday's election results the work goes on to find the truth behind January 6th and hold those people responsible for the violence and the attempted overthrow of our democracy accountable for all of their actions my next guest on Mayor colpa Alex Howard is one of the loudest voices for that accountability through his purchase director of the Digital Democracy Project. His pleas for Trump's White House records to be released as well as the former guy's prosecution has become all the more important after yesterday's election result, suggesting that Trumpism is once again on the march. Howard has been honored twice by the Washingtonian magazine as one of Washington's tech titans, which recognized him as a respected trend spotter and chronicler of government use of new media. Over the years, Howard has appeared on air as an analyst for NPR, MSNBC, CNN, and has been quoted in hundreds of print publications. Howard has held fellowships at the Tow Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia Journalism School and at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. Howard joins us today on Mea Culpa to discuss a wide range of issues, including how Trump's incitement of the insurrection on January 6th is a direct violation of the 14th Amendment, which should bar him from running for president, never mind throw his fucking ass behind bars. So let's listen now to that conversation. Okay, so Alexander, we have a lot to talk about, and we're just going to jump straight into it, if that's okay with you.
3: That sounds great.
0: All right, so Alex, you've written a lot, or at least have written a lot on Twitter, about the parallels between the big lie and the 1919 Germany in its own pre-fascist state by quoting the historian uh, Timothy D. Snyder. Can you unpack these thoughts for my listeners and explain how this could all play out in the 2024 election, especially as it relates to this quote that I found apt in light of what's currently happening with the January 6th committee. And I quote, to keep it going for four years, courts terrorism and assassination. What's the nightmare scenario that you fear most?
3: Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to speak with you about these issues and thank you for bringing attention to them. I think that it's a bit later than we think as a country. I think that we're in a dangerous place. I think a a post-truth state, right, where you have tens of millions of people who believe something that's not true. There's a consensual mass delusion afoot, which is based upon a a very old lie about um, widespread voter fraud. Um, but that, that is now metastasized into something that the former president told people and has continued to repeat, as he does again and again and again, very effective propaganda until that falsehood becomes true, or at least there's enough doubt about it that causes people to question that their vote has been counted, right? So you had a bunch of people who showed up in Washington earlier this year who believed that the election was stolen for them, who believed that um, they were being disenfranchised By fraudulent ballots, that they were malevolent forces who had taken something away from them and they were there to fight for something that was true. Of course, that was a lie. And the parallel you've brought up, I think, is historically significant. It's why I've spent a lot of time and attention trying to draw this out from history, just like we talk about his lessons from 1918 and the pandemic then. And of course, you you probably know, right? People were upset about um, vaccinations then, about masks then, about public health authorities instituting restrictions on gatherings and churches and businesses. It's everything old is new again. Well, okay, let's see that pattern play out um, with respect to a society where you have people separated into extreme camps of partisanship, who do not trust each other, who believe that something isn't true. In this case, in Germany, it was that they hadn't lost World War One. It was a national embarrassment. People did not want to grapple with the fact that they, Imperial Germany, had had lost this incredibly painful, violent conflict. Millions and millions of people died. And as a result, uh, people who didn't come along with this idea, this lie, more increasingly, um, targeted as the other, as people who are not proud patriots, right, who are not part of the nation. And that laid the conditions, pre-fascist conditions, for the rise of an actual fascist state, in 1930s Germany. And of course, if you look around the world, um, we've seen fascist states from uh, Japan, right? Something we dealt with in World War II as well, to Spain, to Italy, of course, uh, Mussolini and fascism comes from as an idea, as a concept, as a word, and now into proto-fascist states uh, elsewhere, like Mr. Bolsonaro. And the risk is that we will end up hating each other um, and literally back Um, in what unfortunately you see in many parts of the darker parts of the internet, uh, real civil war, Um, because people based upon a lie uh, will come not to trust anything and anyone, but a great leader who can bring success and prosperity to a troubled people, right? It creates the conditions for a slide further into authoritarianism and further away um, from what I think the United States still has a pretty good hold on, which is being a pluralistic, multiracial uh, liberal democracy, the longest existing one. And that idea is under threat, just as it was back in the 19th century.
0: Now, I watched something the other day, and it's, I'm particularly sensitive to it because my father is a Holocaust survivor. I watched his Ted Cruz. And I know that if I was in your class, I think you, you teach at Yale, if I'm not mistaken. I do not. I apologize. That's Timothy Snyder that teaches at Yale. I'm gonna ask him to forgive me but I, I have to say what I have to say simply because it's mea culpa and that's what we do here. I find Ted Cruz to be a dumb motherfucker with all of his brains with all of his bullshit he's really a stupid motherfucker and I'm insulted when I sat and I watched Ted Cruz asking Merrick Garland if Nazi salutes are a form of protected free speech and at first I couldn't figure out what is this ass clown fucking thinking? What is he doing? What is he trying to relate to the American people via this this hearing that was going on? And I started just to read all the various different articles and Newsweek actually had a pretty good article about it, as of course did virtually everybody, considering they couldn't believe this ass clown from Texas decided to be this crazy and this stupid But this whole issue, Cruz's questioning, right, which took place uh, the past Wednesday at the Senate Judiciary hearing, really emanated from a recent memo that was sent from the Department of Justice to the FBI simply about discussing strategies for addressing the rise in criminal conduct that's directed towards school personnel. Now, I'm trying to, for the life of me, for the life of me figure out how addressing criminal behavior and conduct towards members of school boards and school personnel has anything to do with a nazi salute it reminds me so much of when trump refused to denounce david duke when you saw in charlottesville these these white supremacists walking down the streets screaming jews will not replace us i can't understand What he was thinking, I can't understand why, for the life of me, Jared, whose grandmother, uh, you know, and, um, you know, was a Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz as well. And I think even the grandfather, because I remember when I was in, uh, USC, not Prague, at USC, we went to the Shoah Foundation and I saw their name there. I'm just trying to figure out what is this moron talking about? What is the correlation, if any?
3: I think you're asking me why Ted Cruz uh, is pursuing this line of questioning. And I think it's important to recognize that uh, Ted Cruz is an Ivy League trained lawyer who's argued cases before the Supreme Court. He's a smart guy. Um, He's also a politician. He's also uh, not beloved um, in our country because he takes positions that have managed to keep him getting elected by Texans. Why is it that Texas is sending Mr. Cruz back to Washington again and again if he's not moving legislation, if he's not doing oversight that is uh, actually holding the federal government to account? Um, What is it that the Senator is bringing to Texans that they value? Is it support um, as in uh, they lose energy? Is he providing constituent services to people in winter who don't have enough? Obviously, Mr. Cruz decided to travel during that time period, instead of helping Texans in the blackout and said that there's nothing he can do, which is of course false. The the role of elected representatives is to give people that. So what what is Mr. Cruz doing? He's playing to the cameras and his base and to far right cable on news networks and social media to create incendiary media that will be able to be relevant um, for him getting continued attention and prominence in the party for bringing up the idea Um, that people who are engaged in expression, in this case, allegiance to Nazism, right? Far-right authoritarianism with the explicit idea that the white race should be on top. An idea, by the way, that a couple hundred years ago was pretty popular in the American South and continues to be today with actual white supremacists, including those who live in Texas. He is signaling to them that he's there to protect their right to be racist in public. Right, to express things that are anathema to liberal democracy, which of course is the idea that white supremacists should be in charge. That's what the Confederacy was trying to do to preserve slavery. Now, Mr. Cruz knows all of this, and he doesn't want to get any closer to this than he can. he does not want to be accused of being anti-Semitic. So, of course, you see him turn to Twitter, right, when Representative Swalwell called him out about this for defending Nazi freedom of expression and said, Your lie is 180 degrees in return. I was defending the right of citizens to denounce authoritarian policies, in other words, to oppose Nazis or petty tyrants, not to support them. Now, we know Mr. Cruz doesn't actually believe that, because if he wanted to defend people expressing themselves and protesting and and denouncing government, he would have said, oh, Colin Kaepernick is peacefully protesting the extrajudicial murder of Black men by police. I support that. And I also support the Black Lives Matter protesters, right, who are coming out to say the murder of a man, George Floyd, was unconstitutional. That's unconstitutional policing. You've got a whole lot of people uh, who see and experience racism in their daily lives, right, the legacy of slavery in our United States. And he's saying that you are allowed to be racist in public because that's protected speech. Now, he's not wrong, right? I think it is true that someone, Flying the swastika or wearing a swastika isn't has the right to do that. They have the right to do a Nazi salute. We, we accept that the Ku Klux Klan, right, can get dressed up and walk around. That is constitutional freedom of expression. Where the things change, of course, is when you engage, as you know, because you're the lawyer in the conversation, in threats, right? You, you actually threaten someone and that is not constitutionally protected speech. And that, um, of course, blows up the entire line that was supposed to stand in for actual oversight of the Justice Department, which Republicans should be doing, right? We need a strong opposition to question them on how well they're upholding civil liberties and how transparent they're being and how ethical they're being on whether the previous president subverted the Justice Department to try to turn over the election, which constitutional conservatives should not be okay with. Mr. Cruz is using his moment in the national sunlight, right, to advance himself being seen to stand up to the Justice Department for the free speech rights of people expressing abhorrent ideas.
0: Agreed. But somewhere along the line, he's so devoid of reality. First and foremost, to unpack. You do you know, think he um, really your, is, or do you think he's putting on I, a show? Uh, well, I think he's putting on a show. And I think the show is not just for himself, it's also a show to a party of one, meaning Trump and Trump supporters, right? Well, because, because he's supposed to be president in, and Trump can't be, right? That's correct. Now, of course, that's never going to happen either. But here's the thing. Texans are not racists. I don't think it would be a fair assessment to say that everybody that lives in Texas is an anti-Semite or is against, uh, is, is a, you know, a white supremacist. It would be a terrible thing That's to say. That's not true. Any I state have, or I our have, union or any place. Of course not. I have relatives that live in Dallas and I can tell you emphatically <laughs> that they're not racist, nor are they anti-Semitic because they're actually, you know, Jews themselves. So but here's the thing that sort of bothered me a lot a lot of this stupidity by Ted Cruz emanated from the whole issue of the mask mandate and the teaching of critical race theory in the schools including rules that would protect Doesn't happen, trans by the way right that's right that's correct which uh, as well as rules that protect transgender students well first of all i think the rules should protect all students regardless of whether it's straight gay transgender what's the Equal what's justice the under law should- is an idea right Correct. That students should be able to go to school and feel safe to doing that. But then he went further because this is where I say that I think he lost his way and couldn't figure out, like Donald does, how to back back out of it. Right. It's like kind of trying to move, you know, a, an 18 wheeler in a single lane highway.
3: Right. Your podcast backwards. is me a culpa, but the, the lesson is not to apologize in our politics right now. Right.
0: Uh, definitely if you're not a GOPer, But Hughes' is Garland, he goes so far then to accuse Garland of exaggerating the threats against the educators. So these people don't have the right to say what is upsetting or concerning to them, that they need security to get home because people are showing up to their house, making phone calls, uh, threatening their family, their children, and so on. But Ted Cruz knows better. It's truly amazing that he has some sort of divine intervention where he can turn around and look people straight in the face and say, no, 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 you're over-exaggerating the extent of the threats. Now, many of these hearings and board meetings are captured on video, so you get to see it yourself. I've seen some of them, and my personal opinion, they're not over exaggerating, and they have the right, like they say in law, the thin it's called the eggshell theory, right? You take each individual as they are, so if one person is a little bit more you know predisposed to nervousness or intimidation for whatever the reason might be, he's not he or she is not entitled to feel that way, but Ted Cruz knows better, right, which is crazy, and then just in one more response just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that you should. Yes, you have the right to walk down the street with a swastika flag. That doesn't mean that you should do it. Just because you have the right to turn around and to say something to somebody, like a school board member, about your feelings on critical race theory doesn't mean that you should, right? I mean, you don't control the school board. You don't control the curriculum. And I'm not really sure that, you know, the Third Reich was really a part of history that we want to emanate, you know, here in the United States.
3: No, of course not. The real risk right now is that we slide into something that's uh, more like Hungary, right, a a flawed democracy where one party controls all the the levers of power from the judiciary to state legislatures on up through Congress, and where uh, it is impossible because of gerrymandering and suppressive laws uh, for the Minorities in the uh, country to have power, and where you see uh, religion be enforced upon everybody—in this case, an extreme version of Catholicism—right, um, that is not what a country of by and for the people of many races, religions, creeds believes in, right? Uh, that the the risk right now is that the structural incentives for the Republican Party are not towards opening up the vote to everybody. It's to retaining power because of this constitution, right, which has given rural states disproportionate power in the Senate, and then literally uh, putting through laws and putting through redistricting maps that cement power. Partisan redistricting is not just an issue with Republicans, of course, but it is something that we are seeing with racial gerrymanders now across the South that puts a high premium upon uh, enacting voting rights uh, legislation that empowers the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department to do what it was empowered to do by Congress under the 15th Amendment, back when we passed amendments to the Constitution, which is to uphold the voting rights of Black Americans across the South in the face of states that would oppress them. And it's not a simple idea. There's a great deal of of lies about it, but the reality on the ground is clear to anybody. And the risk to American democracy is, is, I think, significant right now. You've got tens of millions of people who've been disinformed who are quite angry, who believe something that's false and that's being used to justify repression. I think um, right now we're, we're about to see uh, some break in the log jam in Congress in terms of uh, reconciliation uh, and uh, the movement on infrastructure, but it's an open question on whether um, it's gonna be possible to change the filibuster rule to get democracy and voting reform through, which is critical. Otherwise, we should expect this to be an inflection point in American democracy. We might look back a century from now, right, and when we're all dead and be upset about, right, that we didn't do enough right now, um, as we saw the danger loom, um, to change the incentives, to add more states, to create ranked choice voting, to do what we can to reduce polarization, to uh, fund a PBS for the internet, to create national service opportunities, to make sure that we take the money that um, Congress is giving out there to rebuild our communities, That we get around a national creed where it's out of many one again, right? That's not predicated upon um, what God we believe in or what skin or color is. I think a lot of Americans believe in that as an idea, as a concept. We just have to work together to get to it.
0: Yeah, agreed with that. But Alex, let me draw down for a minute um, on what we were just talking about, because CNN uh, has a terrifying new report that for some reason has not received the attention that I believe it so justly deserves. Basically, what it's saying election officials and secretaries of state around the country are receiving vile, absolutely vile, and frightening threats to their life and to their families' lives from a number of these bad actors. Now, I'm curious if you saw this piece. And how you believe that this will impact the midterm and the 2024 elections. And finally, if you believe if this um, is a concerted strategy by the right in order to flip the House.
3: Okay, so I think that they were reporting upon a hearing that was convened in the Senate Rules Committee by Senator Klobuchar uh, that featured testimony from secretaries of state and election officials from around the country. And I think that uh, that piece was picking up on what Senator Klobuchar was highlighting, which is the uh, real risk that we're gonna see people leave these positions at the state and local level because they are the subject of hatred, harassment, abuse, threats to themselves and their families. They will decide um, perhaps reasonably that those physical threats, people, um, you know, coming to their houses, uh, people who could justifiably be thought to have deadly force, um, that that is not worth the salary and the public trust involved with that role. And I think we're seeing is a a huge amount of news, right? Every day that is just rippling over our attention spans and it's robbing us of our ability to focus upon where the actual signal is, where the actual danger is. And what you're highlighting is one of the great dangers we have, right? It's that um, you'll see the nonpartisan backbone of American civil society, our local election administrators, uh, the state secretaries of state removed from roles of the public trust and replaced with partisans so that the next time there's an effort to subvert the election, maybe in 2024, maybe later on, you'll see people certify different slate of electors or they do find more votes or they do toss out ballots right they do take the actions that corrupt political elites are asking them to do with the not so implicit threat that if they don't do so their physical safety will be jeopardized and if that happens right we're no longer having free and fair elections we're having a one-party controlled state where the threat of violence where mob rule is what determines who wins or not and the america that we've had since 1965 this Fragile, embryonic democracy where finally minorities can vote, right? That idea will pass away and we'll end up into something else, a lot more like what Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy wanted, if we're going to be truthfully honest about it.
0: You know, the thing that as I was reading that article, and it's a in case anybody wants to go to it, it's a CNN article written on October 26th. Uh, One of the two individuals was Isaac DeVere. And it starts off with, I am a hunter. And I think you should be hunted. A woman could be heard saying in a voicemail left for the Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, right This is really a problem we know, justify, this is by a, the like, way. yes, this is not just a spam call telling you about you know, hey, your auto insurance isn't up to date, or you know uh your car payment isn't up to date and they, then there's another man. Um, who sp- um, who's saying, you know, die, you bitch, die, die, you bitch, die, repeatedly into the phone. Now, these are threats and these are actionable. And one thing that I would love to see is I would actually love to see the FBI get more involved. I'd like to see local law enforcement get involved. And I would like to see them hold these people, you know, um, accountable for these Disgraceful and vile acts, you know these people are doing their job just because you don't like the job that they're doing doesn't mean that this is the type of intimidation that you do, but let 's not forget who are they learning this from from dear old donald they're learning it from people like Matt Gates. Let me just use myself as the example when Donald Trump started to attack me on his Twitter. What do you think happened with all of these fucking lunatics? Finding out my cell phone number, my home number, my office number, it didn't stop on and on and on. Or then, you know, you have walking down the street and people want to start, you know, fighting with you and so on. This is absolutely crazy. And it's not just on. Then you had the same thing when you see Matt Gates do the same thing and talking about intimidation or obstruction of justice. And shame on Merrick Garland for already not having a special counsel appointed just to deal with Matt Gates alone. Just Matt Gates alone. If he's not the Donald, that's what everybody wants. We all want to see Donald in handcuffs. We want to see him in an orange jumpsuit. At least I do. So let's start with Matt Gates. Let's start with the Josh Hawleys. Let's start with the Marjorie Taylor Greens that's putting out videos showing her blowing shit up and saying that could be your house. Things like that.
3: Well, again, I think it's important for all of us to distinguish between constitutionally protected speech um, and and genuine threats, and also to remind us all of what treason is and what subversion is. Um, and what sedition is, because these words are relevant to our politics again, because there's a like, widespread support for political violence, like what we saw on January 6th. Um, and the same kind of anger, right, that we saw focused on legislators now can and will be focused upon other people, right, where the mob is called to attack. Um, anyone who's interested in the history of how republics fall should be looking back to Rome, as well, if you're interested in in sort of how this goes badly. Um, You know, they they had a, a war hero in the Republic who broke a bunch of norms. And he became so popular because he wanted to enact land reforms that would have given money back to the veterans, that the other senators got together and hired a bunch of gladiators, and they beat him and a bunch of his supporters to death. And that once that norm had been broken, first in the rhetorical sense and then the use of power and then the use of violence, it began the unwinding of the Republic until you had an actual military coup, with Mr. Caesar and then, and then uh, eventually Augustus, right? Um, this isn't something that people are not afraid of in the past. Our founding fathers knew what demagogues were. Washington warned the nation in his farewell letter about the rise of such a person. And they gave us the tools to do something about it. And they gave us a constitution that we could improve. And they gave us a Congress that was supposed to be the most powerful body, the first branch that could do something about this. Now, you and your listeners should know, I mentioned the Klobuchar hearing. Well, Senator Klobuchar, um, uh, it has a, a, a bill she, she put out there, it's called Protecting Election Administration from Interference Act, right? And part of what Congress should be doing is looking back, right? looking at all the democratic norms that were not codified, were a corrupt president, could do things like take emoluments, right? Because his party didn't object to it. Congress didn't object to it. Speaker Ryan didn't check him. He was able to monetize the presidency corruptly. And when he was cleared of of trying to abuse his power in Ukraine, he went about um, using it further, right? Um, They provide us the means to impeach and remove a president from office. We didn't use it. Right now, our Congress should be preparing for the next
0: threat. And that is election subversion. Right, Right. And And we should be seeing- and the Donald Trump 2.0. Because until, you know, you're 100% correct, until Donald J. Trump, right, our 45th president, decided to take a dump on our Constitution and show all of these Trumpists, the Ted Cruz's of the world, others who will try to be the Donald Trump 2.0, just how to accomplish this. But, you know, moving on, there's something that you posted, an interesting piece on Twitter, examining the role that supposed left or progressive media outlets writing about extremist groups like the Oath Keepers play in the actual spread of those groups. Now, they apparently use the articles as recruitment tools. Where do you stand on the need for strategic silence in denying these groups oxygen to spread versus reporting on their nefarious activities? Are we over-reporting or are we under-reporting? I think we're doing the wrong kind of reporting, to be
3: honest. And I think it's important to put this in context. So uh, thank you for following uh, what i was tweeting today so carefully. First of all, I'm um, glad I choose my words carefully. Um, in this case, the reporting- Yes, is
0: yes, I'm sure Alex, you know, because I choose my words very carefully too. I, yeah, we,
3: we both are good at that. <laughs> so um, yeah. uh, Mother Jones was cited by 33 Oath Keepers as part of the reason for joining that. But you know what was higher up? Facebook, a thousand of them. Infowars, nine hundred of them. YouTube, eight hundred of them. Fox News, five hundred. Glenn Beck, three hundred. Bill O'Reilly, three hundred. Gun shows, one hundred and eighty. Survival preppers podcast, one hundred and thirty. So all of those people who have become um, uh, like radicalized enough to join a far right paramilitary group, which is what the oath keepers are, the vast majority of them found it through far right outlets, right media outlets, or the internet it was not through progressive publications. It was not because of this aggressive But I would say that if you look at Mother Jones' journalism, it is accurate, um, it is fair, it is honest, it is well-reported, and is is well-contextualized. So the fact that some people said that they found this group through that doesn't mean it's the major vector, right? It's a tiny vector compared to the vast right-wing ecosystem in cable news, talk radio, um, Facebook pages, and most recently, right? The presidency itself with the United States government leverages a propaganda order. If we, I think, don't interrogate, sometimes you can end up with a a false idea of what's actually happening here. And the major risk is that mainstream media publications, USA Today's of the world, the local papers, the local TV stations, et cetera, that they will repeat back lies without calling them out as lies and without leading the reporting with the facts as we know them. And inoculating people with facts against those viral lies, just as we inoculate people against viruses through vaccines. Right? You give a little piece of something to someone with a lot of context around them, and then you tell them, you know what, it is not true to say there is no voter fraud, but it is true to say there is so vanishingly small amount of it, despite repeated studies by the US government and other institutions, that it is not something that we should institute laws on the basis of right? And that is something that goes right into the the teeth of orthodoxy and a false belief that exists in these ecosystems. But the fact is, is that the viral lies, right, the tweets of the past president and everyone who aspires to that kind of success on social media, getting their message out, are pulled into media as the host organism. And so it's not to not report It's not to say that there are Nazis marching on the green or coming to Charlottesville or that there are white nationalists planning violence in the Capitol. It's to say that they're planning to do so and that there are this many of them and they have these beliefs and they're supporting these kinds of things and these moneyed interests are backing them and they're obstructing these different laws that would govern them. But we're going to respect their rights to freedom of expression and assembly and restrict them from scrapping with the people who show up to counter protest them because they don't like white nationalists and neo-Nazis and supremacists who have uh, some of the worst ideas in history, including those that have, say, led to the Holocaust, right? Um, Like there's a a critical way of thinking that is not filtered through to many of the profit-driven media organizations where they have a, a public responsibility not to platform people with these ideas, but to report on their existence and what they're doing and what their ideas are, and then to situate that in the historical context. Um, It's not to ignore it, right? The idea of strategic silence and denying the oxygen of amplification to the bullshit. Because if you look back at people like David Duke, right? Someone who's in the Ku Klux Klan, their goal is to get their ideas into coverage. So people will see them and think, oh, well, that's OK. That's something I can do, too. And if they're feeling disaffected, if they feel like um, they're being displaced by minorities or that minorities are getting their benefits, that they're being left behind while someone else takes their money. These are the toxic ideas that exist in that ecosystem, right? Then they are susceptible to radicalization through all of the different places that exist for that online and off. And that is something that as a country, I think we have to grapple with it. It's, it's possible to criticize media in good faith and also say that journalism is the backbone of, uh, of democracy, right? That an informed uh, populace is necessary to self-government. And the place we're in right now is we've got tens of millions of disinformed people. And when you have that dynamic, self-governance becomes nearly impossible, That's the risk we're in, right? We've got advanced truth decay in our society, and it's making collective action to do anything about the big problems much, much harder.
0: Yes, I agree. Except the media is in part responsible. And it's not just the Mark Zuckerbergs and Facebook that allowed, permitted, and knew about this misinformation campaign. Uh, Facebook is media, uh, as are blogger, as are bloggers, as are the major media outlets, whether it's newspapers or television. One of the things that Donald has taught, and it's why Ted Cruz said the stupid things that he did, why the Marjorie Taylor Greens, Josh Hawley's, et cetera, say the stupid things that because they learned from Donald, aka Captain Chaos, that the more chaos that you sow, the more bullshit that you throw out there. You create this, this, again, this chaos that doesn't permit journalists to do a scintilla of due diligence on the information that's being put out there. And everybody's so affected, they're so afraid that their bottom line is going to be affected. Holy shit, you know, Alexander Howard's going to get the story out before me and I'm the New York Times. Who is he to get it out before me? I need to run. And so I can't do a scintilla of due diligence. I'm not making any phone calls. They'll go so far as to lie and say that the individual who's being affected by it was unavailable for comment despite the fact that they won't even call right this is the problem and this is what Donald Trump showed that we have a very limited attention span and it's why so many issues that were so big and they monopolized the television and the newspapers we don't even know how they ended up and you can't even think of what they are because there were so many right and that's one of the biggest problems is the media is responsible for getting the information right. And while Mother Jones tries to get it right, I can honestly tell you that they get it wrong plenty of times, as does the New York Post on purpose, as does the, the you know, the Daily News, as does the LA, times. everybody, the AP, the Guardian, everybody gets it wrong. But there's, a difference there's so between much coming. But there's so much coming at them that they still help to promote the misinformation and disinformation. And the problem is those people who want to read that information in the manner in which it is being um, spouted, right, they will. And then it becomes fact to them, even though it's actually inaccurate.
3: We live in a a truly difficult time where you have more voices lifted up than ever before, right? What happens when everyone's connected? Well, we all shout at each other, as it turns out. We turn into our own um, bubbles, right? We, we choose our own news, we choose our sources, we tune out those that we don't want to hear from. You know, this is the idea of the, the filter bubble, et cetera. Um, but there is something new, right? Where there's a, a participatory disinformation dynamic, something that you saw happen around um, the Capitol and we see elsewhere. And the use of automated propaganda, right? Computational propaganda um, and, and networked ab- abuse and dynamics that then drive offline action. And this is, I think, where actually uh, Steve Bannon uh, becomes quite important to talk about because he's talked about the flooding attack, right? If, if you overwhelm the press with lies, with outrageous statements, right? Um, with performative outrage, with um, constantly moving. It saps the ability of the papers of record, which do try to get it right. I think we can both agree that the journalists by and large that exist working today in the United States are not trying to get things wrong, right? They are trying to get an accurate count. They're trying to establish facts. They're trying to corroborate the who, what, where, when, how, and why. They are not-
0: Then they need to do their due diligence and they need to get it right. This isn't, when you have the power of the pen, you need to get it right. End of period. Drop the mic. You got to get it right.
3: And I think that the vast majority of working journalists try to do exactly that. What I'm describing is the condition I think that you're highlighting, that it is a strategy from, uh, I think, folks like Mr. Trump or those who would emulate him to flood the zone with bullshit. And since we're swearing here, I'm glad I can say it. I feel like I'm an HBO. Yep. Go- I mean,
0: McClatchy is one of the worst defenders of all of this. They they know it's wrong, and they continue to promote it again for their own economic benefit. Now, but you're, you're still upset Twitter, about
1: the Prague story,
0: right? It's not just the Prague story. It's a thousand mm-hmm. other stories too. For example, I never took money from Poroshenko in order to set up some meeting with mm-hmm. um, the Ukrainian, you know, the Ukrainian president Poroshenko. I had nothing. I. The first time I ever heard about it was when I read it in the paper. And the more I turned around and said, it had nothing to do with it. No, nope, you're lying. And then they just continued to promote it and promote it. And there's, once you're that subject, there's nothing that you can do to get it back. Right? It's like, who was it that turned around and said, you know, what do I need to do to get my reputation back? Right? You, what you do need good to works.
3: Do, yes. Yeah. Right? Just do good what, works.
0: Whatever okay. works, mea culpa. Thank you to my mil- you know, 1.4 million downloads per month because I good. will get the reputation. Thank you very much. I, I now, guess there's
3: going to be a lot of people listening, about huh? so it's better ask a good
0: next question then. Set me up. I, well, I sure, I sure will. Uh, right. Today on Twitter, you actually wrote, <laughs> a healthy conservative party would be a partner for good governance reforms needed to codify norms a corrupt president exposed, democratic reforms to protect every vote, and industrial reforms to curb emissions driving climate change. Yeah. The world can see our union is sick and divided. Now, mm-hmm. I'm curious what this was in reference to and whether you think it's even possible to restore a loyal conservative opposition to any prominent role now that the GOP has become a cult of personality and an authoritarian party. I think
3: it's it, it was in, in reference to the fact that we're focused right now on whether the the Democratic Party um, is able to unite its caucus around uh, a, a big chunk of legislation on uh, infrastructure and some combination of, uh, of legislation that would be focused on childcare, climate change, uh, clean energy, a host of other things. Um, and we'll see, right? Um, the, the idea that, uh, however, it's their responsibility, um, I think, is where um, there's a problem. The fact is, is that any country that's a a democratic representative body needs to have people who go to government in good faith to get things done for their people. Um, And take, for example, the question of of childcare, right? And um, sick leave. Um, The United States is alone in industrial uh, countries in not having that. We have the least amount of social safety net for parents and children of anywhere. And fixing that would massively empower every single parent. And it would not matter what race, color, religion, or creed, right? It's something that would help everybody. Getting broadband internet to every county is something that would help everybody. Um, Getting a national recharging network of, uh, of, of stations and having subsidized electric cars and trucks would help everybody. And right? it would, it, it would and also, by the way, get us to the goal that we need to get to, which is reducing our emissions so that our human activity stops warming the planet and gives us a position of global leadership so we can say to other countries, you know what? We did this with England and the rest of industrializing countries. We are disproportionately responsible, but we have disproportionate money and power. We will come help you with clean tech. We will be a clean tech leader. We'll provide green energy, wind, tidal, solar. You know, we will make a difference in terms of getting you off of coal, getting you off of natural gas, getting you off of of fossil fuels, because we all agree as a global polity, as humanity, that this is a problem. A healthy conservative party would look more like the one in England, which buys into these things, right? Which has the, I think, reasonable idea um, that when there is a collective need around public health, around the natural defense, around safety, around um, creating resilience, because we've already got change built in, we will do it together. And the conservative party would hold the ruling party, whatever it happens to be, to account um, on the rule of law, on equal justice, right? On making sure the constitution is what comes first. Um, you cannot say that about today's modern Republican party, right? I think you adequately described in a very pithy way what it looks like when a um, party goes far right and authoritarian and now anti-democratic. It has unpopular policies and it's obstructing what seems to be, I think, a reasonable set of actions that would benefit all Americans at a time when people have lost trust in government. Healthy democracies have political parties that check each other so that if one gets corrupt or sclerotic or oversteps, the other one gets elected in and it goes back and forth. And you don't have people choosing their own voters and trying to disempower racial minorities to take away their ability to ensure that equal justice under law exists as a lived reality for them in their communities in terms of the policing systems, in terms of their ability to buy houses, which of course are correlated with opportunity um, around because of educational success. And the need to get our parties to compete for votes Not to try to repress them or choose them is paramount right now. It is the thing that will make a difference in terms of the United States sinking or swimming in the 21st century. And there's a lot of common sense suggestions around that that are before Congress. I think that the pared down um, bill that uh, Mr. Manchin put forward is a good way to do that. I think voting rights, though, are critical for preserving everything else. We need healthy parties that compete for votes, that do not try to advance lies, and most of all, if they cannot win at the election box, don't try to subvert elections or outright overthrow the will of the people. And that's what we just saw happen. I called it out as a self-coup out is happening, and that's exactly what it was. And we saw a failed putsch for the first time in modern American history. And the people who were involved still have not been held accountable. That is something that should concern the rest of the world, and it certainly concerns anybody who's watching what's happening in the United States right now. Um, The history of pre-fascist states is that the coups eventually succeed. And if a party is so successful in obstructing the other one from governing, from legislating, from moving anything, people then disaffected by the ability of democracy to deliver for them will
0: turn to strongmen. That is what history tells us. So then let me... Continue with this idea. And if you would, if you can unpack your thoughts on Fox News for my listeners in the role that you believe that they are playing in spreading stochastic terrorism, when they give a platform to somebody like Tucker Carlson, who says that the January 6th insurrection was a false flag operation. Also, if you could explain this concept of stochastic terrorism as well, which is something that's placed upon Trump often for his own violent and insightful rhetoric.
3: OK, um, so it refers to um, random acts or, or lone wolf uh, e- events um, like the guy who showed up um, in front of the Library of Congress with a bomb threat in that truck earlier this year, right, or people who uh, attack Uh, legislators, members of Congress, like Gabby Giffords, right, or the man who showed up and shot um, Steve Scalise, right, Um, which is an example of someone on the far left. This is not just a far-right phenomenon, but it is disproportionately focused there um, for many reasons, including the kind of um, toxic libertarianism that is endemic uh, to many parts of the United States. The idea is basically this. If, If people feel like the world is coming apart and someone else successfully says that this other group is taking that away from you, that the, this, this group of media are your enemies. They're lying to you, they're making up sources, they're intentionally distorting things because there's uh, billionaires working behind them, right? Anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, the idea of replacement theory, right? That they're bringing in foreigners who will replace you, something that Tucker Carlson has mainstreamed. Um, these are ideas that do in fact inspire people to go beyond leaving death threats and showing up at someone's house and then at the very far end of it, showing up with a gun. And of course, in our country, we have more guns per capita than anybody. And we are in a place where we have allowed the second amendment to be so far expressed where someone's absolute right to carry a gun in public, as long as they're not black, must be preserved before all other values the whole idea of a well-regulated militia seems to have fallen by the wayside. Instead, we say that someone is allowed to carry um, a rifle that is designed to kill a lot of people quickly. Not like the deer I hunted in upstate New York, not like the birds I shot at or the pistol range, right? It's something that is designed to kill people in a conflict. And to say that ownership of that is intrinsic to uh, your citizenship. And the combination of that elevation of that above all other values And the othering and fear-mongering that you see on Fox News is going to inspire more people to show up at newspapers, at election officials' offices, at school boards, or unfortunately, because we're seeing this norm broken at other elected officials' homes, whether um, they're governors or state senators or representatives, um, you name it. Um, And most of them, of course, do not have the kind of protection that the White House does, right? Um, Most of our history, we have been incredibly fortunate to be a democracy that does not have high levels of political violence. We've of seen other nations. You know, If you think back to 68, the assassinations of JFK, of MLK, RFK, right, those are incredibly traumatic national events. But in our history, there have actually been quite a number of people assassinated. It's something that just doesn't happen as much in modern history, but we're entering an era when the risk of that is much higher. And Fox News is complicit in that, just as they are complicit in platforming anti-vaccination views that are, in fact, killing their viewers. I mean, there's there's no question about it at all that um, you know Fox News has platformed people who are expressing these views who are introducing doubt, and that is leading people to make decisions that are directly antagonistic to their own preservation, right? And certainly those of their communities. Um, you know, the idea that Uh, You won't wear a mask to make sure that old people don't get sick inside. That's a pretty small ask. And yet it's being represented as something that a totalitarian state puts out with a tremendous amount of disinformation about it not being effective for mitigating the movement of an airborne pathogen, as if we hadn't been seeing doctors and nurses do exactly that to protect their patients for decades. Um, Fox News is pernicious. And I I wish that it weren't. I I wish that we had um, a center-right network that was more like the Wall Street Journal's news news, right? Something that was rigorous about uh, facts and wouldn't allow bullshit um, to be uttered by its pundits and had, I think, a reasonable adherence to the idea that just because you have different politics from someone doesn't make them your enemy, right? That we're all united by something.
0: That's right. Except,
3: I mean, honestly, I, I, I would like to see a lot less hate. Right, um there, there's I was raised in the tradition of the Society of Friends. This is a group of people who believe in the power of peace and love, and uh, we're abolitionists going way back before that was a thing in our country. Um, I think that the more we get back to finding commonality around shared values, the better off we'll be. And that's not what Fox is after. Um, and it's become, I think, significantly worse um, after Mr. Ailes wasn't there anymore. Um, their response to the demand signal of a party going far right has been that Fox is unwilling to show things which puncture the toxic disinformation bubbles that people are inside of to do their job. And you see that when um, Chris Wallace does that, viewers get extremely upset. The guy who made the call in Arizona, he's no longer at Fox because the Republican Party was so mad at him for reporting what was accurate, that their models showed that Biden won Arizona. And denying that fact and then removing the person who dared to put it in front of people that upset them so much um, is unfortunately part of um, what Fox does. And its executives seem to be okay with it. Mr. Murdoch seems to be okay with his network having such a pernicious effect on democracy. And I'm not sure what's going to change that. But I know that the outcome from it is apparent all around.
0: So since you bring up Fox News, you compare... What Fox News is doing to the showing of the now infamous hate movie at the Ellipse, which was played just after Rudy Giuliani spoke on January 6th for students of that day looking to understand how that crowd was truly incited by a well-planned and well-thought propaganda effort. What was the content of this film? And who do you think was behind its creation? Now, for a second, I'll quote from Just Security, their description. And I'm quote, to a scholar of fascist propaganda, well versed in the history of the national socialist pioneering use of videos in political propaganda. It was clear watching it, what dangers it pretended. In it, we see themes and tactics that history warns pose a violent threat to liberal democracy. Given the aims of fascist propaganda to incite and mobilize, the events that followed were predictable. What's your take?
3: The scholar in question is a fellow named Jason Stanley. He's a philosophy professor at Yale University. So he actually does teach there. And he's written about fascism. And he, he um, analyzed the video that was shown at the ellipse. Um, which is quite dark. I remember seeing it for the, the first time and, and struck by its, its difference. It's not something you can expect to see from a White House. It had much more to do with the themes that then-President that then President Trump um, talked about in front of Mount Rushmore. It had more to do with his American carnage speech, with the weirdest, most, I think, dark inaugural we've, we've ever had. To, to scholars of this, right, and I, I'm not a scholar of fascism. I'm trying to learn as much as I can from the people who have studied this because I believe in going to
0: experts and reading their books. um S. Donald, he's yeah. called Donald. He's an absolute expert, as he yeah. is in everything else on fascism.
3: Well, I, I I understand, although he's vigorously denied it, that he had a copy of um, Adolf Hitler's speeches at his bedside, and. Uh, Of course, he can't be trusted when confronted by the reality of something, but it has struck me many times that his rhetoric, which is simple, powerful, and effective, um, could be informed um, by studying the rhetoric of somebody, um, because he's literate enough in his past history to be able to read articles, um, particularly those that mention himself, um, anything that might be useful to him um, in his ability to create his uh, web of, of, of cons, right? Something that you're very familiar with. And um, the thing that's important about this um, and the the thing that you, you link to at Just Security um, is that fascist propaganda has a mission. It's to create a sense of loss, something that has been taken from you. This election has been stolen from you. They took it away and then to create a uh, desire for revenge you should go get them back for this you should take it back and of course that's exactly what that crowd did they marched down the street and tried to take it back something they thought had been taken from them the win and the goal of fascist propaganda is to mobilize a population to violently overthrow multi-party democracy and replace it with something else the fascist state right this is not a new idea and if you look back and analyze the the propaganda that you saw uh, the Axis powers putting out there, including the stuff they tried to infect American soldiers with, um, you see that seductive call towards nationalism, right? Towards the military power, towards powerful um, images of patriotism and the other, right? The invader, the foreigner, the um, the the the. In this case, in our country, right? The the idea of antifa right and and today right there has been in this continuation this this bit of propaganda we're seeing now because that's what it is right i i was careful with this i i don't particularly want to call something that a reputative news channel is putting out fascist propaganda but if you look at the promo for tucker carlson's thing i mean it kind of reeks and the the reality is that we i think are dealing with is that these ideas are being platformed And we're seeing them being exposed to massive numbers of people who are in their own alternate realities and who are choosing media networks and soon social networks that repeat them back and back and forth to each other. And if that continues to happen, if they reject what's in front of their eyes and choose instead what Dear Leader says on social media, right-wing social media that's amplified On talk radio and amplified on far right networks, which are disincented to tell people something that punctures these bubbles. We're going to see offline violence like January 6th at state houses and marches and anyone who dares to speak up against what's happening. It's one of the reasons we need to be super careful in the precedents we set right now for the use of state power to repress people's civil liberties. And this is something the Obama administration is culpable for. They gave the next administration a whole bunch of tools and precedents that then they could abuse from drones to surveillance, to outrageous secrecy at the justice department um, with respect to secret laws that are governed these things. And instead of setting up the kinds of checks and bounds that would make sure that if a crazy demagogue somehow managed to be elected, they couldn't nuke the world. Instead, we had the rather uncomfortable situation of the joint chiefs checking in with everybody after a, a failed push, and self-coup saying, "We'll all check in if he tries to wag the dog and nuke Iran or North Korea or whatever." Right? One of the scariest times in my recent history was after the election because, in really, un- until I took a deep breath on in inauguration day, I was extremely concerned the president was going to start a war to try to retain power or, you know, uh, uh, otherwise um, shift what had happened,
0: or otherwise create the big lie. Uh, and to try to make shit up. But Alex, let me thank you for joining us. You know, uh, As I said, the hour goes by really fast, but I do just want to leave you with this thought because obviously I know Donald for a long time and I sat by his side for a long time. One of the biggest problems is that Donald Trump is emphatically a racist, all right? And I would say he's a racist, sexist, misogynist, but what he really is showing this whole group of people, what he really reeks of is the need for white privilege. And that's one of the biggest problems that he's stoking uh, and that the misinformation, disinformation campaign is predicated on. And that's why you'd see, you know, so much violence that's going on right now.
3: Yeah, uh, it's, it's, um, it's an upsetting time to see our country in, in such pain and to see um, old, bad ideas be resuscitated by people who should know better. And a lot of folks motivated by fear right, by fear, I'm um, going along with it, instead of repudiating these ideas and saying, you know what, we should be better than this. We should be standing with our fellow Americans. And that is going to mean, by the way, voting for them, right, or not voting um, to put fascists in power or keep them there, not uh, continuing to repeat things that are false, because the party demands it of them. But the consequences are very high for people who stand up against Mr. Trump, they lose their office. He's trying to primary each one because loyalty to him, not the party, not the constitution is what's paramount to him. And you know, his personality quite well, he is seeking revenge for everyone who did him psychological injury when he lost. And that's going to continue for a long time and up and until he's frankly banned from office or he dies. Or I'm indicted kind of, and incarcerated.
0: Yeah, or indicted in a car site. But Alex, let me again thank you so much for your time, your insight. Um, I truly, truly appreciate it and definitely want to have you come back on Mea Culpa. Oh,
3: thank you so much for the invitation. It was an engaging conversation and I'm really grateful
0: that you offered the time and I guess I'll see you online. You got it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And now for today's Mea Culpa. In thinking about yesterday's election result, I am reminded that voters have the attention span of a goldfish. As much as they care about the attempted overthrow of our government, they also care about ordinary kitchen sink issues like their taxes, schools, and infrastructure. That, perhaps, is the takeaway from Tuesday's vote. Trump and his party remain extraordinary threats to democracy. But the dynamics of our elections remain decidedly ordinary. Republican obstructionism may be hamstringing Biden's ability to deliver on his promise of post-Trump unity. But it's his poll numbers that are suffering. Republicans may have no ideas, but Democrats will face political consequences if they fail to execute theirs. And even with one party openly supporting insurrection, the midterms might still be the rebuke of the party in power they traditionally are. Unless perhaps Democrats can finally deliver on their popular agenda. Quite simply, being anti-Trump is no longer enough. Biden was elected mainly because he was not Donald Trump, but he was also elected to get things done and to fix the mess made by Trump. Right now, that's not being done. Excuses are like assholes. Everybody's got one. Democrats need to knock off the haggling, pass some legislation, and put people back to work. Then again, this might just be the way things are. We could prosecute Trump for the insurrection and still lose the House because voters in New Jersey want to pay lower property taxes. That is the wonderful and frightening mess of democracy, whether we like it or not. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Copa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.
2: This is my man.